The great Lincoln scholar, James G. Randall, once observed that what happens over and over is that a certain idea gets started in association with an inventor figure, it is re repeated by speakers and editors, and soon becomes part of the superficial aggregation of concepts that goes under the heading, What Everybody Knows. One example of that is, well, everybody knows Abraham Lincoln suffered from depression. He was a manic depressive, was he not? We'll talk today to somebody who really knows the story about that, Joshua Wolfshank, author of Lincoln's Melancholy, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Onboard computers to improve fuel efficiency and reduce emissions. Check. Acoustic and optical wayside monitors to enhance safety. Check. Robotic systems to measure track geometry. Check. GPS tracking and tracing systems. Check. Sounds like a rocket or a jet getting ready for takeoff, doesn't it? Actually, it's something just as technologically advanced. A freight train. There's a new world of technology riding the rails that makes today's freight railroads more fuel efficient, safer, and cleaner running than ever. With wireless communications, transponders, and trackside readers that can pinpoint a shipment's location at speeds of up to 80 miles an hour, North America's freight railroads are driving the technology required by today's businesses and consumers. And with everything from apples to computers moving by rail, we wouldn't have it any other way. Chances are, the things you'll use tomorrow are taking the train today. Tomorrow, arriving by train. Sponsored by North America's Freight Railroads. Remember when you laughed during a business conference? You felt more energized, more alert, and more receptive to the message being delivered. Hi, I'm Russ Dolnack, and I make people laugh. And as a professional humorous speaker, I open up a morning conference session with a laugh or close off the day with a funny recap. It's, it's just a one-of-a-kind experience. Visit RussIsFunny.com right now. Get an audience into it. You know, if they're laughing, it's paying big dividends. They're more relaxed, they're more creative, and if nothing else, a humorous speaker leads each and every one of them with a smile on their face. You need comedy. Custom, clean, clever comedy. Otherwise, your audience might just doze off. <laughs> just imagine, if you had to listen to hours of serious commentary without a break, come on, pack some upbeat energy into your next event. Humor works. Find me, Russ Stallnack, at russisfunny.com because, well, russischubby.com was taken. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking to you from Brewster A307 on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but speaking purely on my own behalf and not for the university or its powerful team of lawyers. And the same, I'm sure, applies to our guest today. Before starting, as always, thanks to those who've contributed to the show and specifically to the book fund that keeps me able to read the things our authors are writing here on Civil War Talk Radio. Always glad to have contributions for that. Today is uh, the day we're recording. This is April 14, 2006, 141 day years to the day of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. That day, like today, was a Good Friday in the Christian calendar, and it is uh, a cloudy day here in North Carolina, as it, it seems to be uh, frequently this time of year uh, when this day rolls around. 
And appropriate to this, our subject today is indeed Abraham Lincoln, and in particular, a new angle on Abraham Lincoln. Our guest is Joshua Wolfschenk, who has written a book called Lincoln's Melancholy, how depression challenged a president and fueled his greatness. Josh, are you there? I am. Josh, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me. Great. It's good to talk to you. We uh, we got to talk a little bit a couple months ago in Springfield uh, at Lincoln's birthday celebration, and uh, I'm sure you've been busy since then, as I know I have. Here we are. Here we are on the anniversary of his death. It's a it's a poignant day. It it, it certainly is. Now, the I, there have been so many books about Abraham Lincoln written, so many thousands. Uh, that I ask this question of anybody uh, on the show who's written about Lincoln, which is how how does one find a new angle to uh, to approach the subject with? How did, how did you come up with the idea to look at uh, Lincoln's mental health, Lincoln's depression, as a, a subject? The the idea really found me. I was looking for uh, something to write about in in, in the mental health world. I was a journalist um, and looked at the world that way primarily, but I've always loved history. I studied history in in college, and I was certainly open to you know stories that would take me um, into history. But I was I was I was casting a wide net, and one night I read um, an essay um, that compares Lincoln to Meriwether Lewis and talks about their suicide their flirtations with suicide both of them and and uh, recounts uh, Lewis's suicide and, and recounts Lincoln's um, you know very healthy life and that it has movement from the profound suffering uh, you know uh, of his melancholy to this to, to his powerful career and I, I was just astonished by it. I, I, I was astonished by the material. Um, this this essay quoted a, a couple of very famous Lincoln pieces, his his poems from 1846, the letter he wrote declaring, "I'm now the most miserable man living." And I, as a as a as a troubled and ambitious young man in my my late 20s, who was very familiar with Lincoln, the icon and the the, the the image of the Lincoln Memorial, I was just astonished that he not only spoke about these things that were such an important part of my life, but that he did so um, extremely powerfully and clearly. Um, and I and I started to ask, um, you know, has this been written about? Is there a book on this? Is is it ground that is entirely well plowed, or might the fact that 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 it's news to me um, be an indication that you know it's there's work to be done and it turned out to be a very unusual time it was 1998 this is the year that Doug Wilson's uh, book Honor's Voice came out at a, a, a very a powerful a fresh study of, of Lincoln's young manhood um, more importantly it was a year that that uh, Wilson and Davis, Rodney Wilson with with Rodney Davis, uh, published Hearn's Informants, which is a annotated and expertly edited um, uh, volume of these famous Hearn and oral histories that have been 
talked about forever and, and, and often drawn on, but had never before been available um, in such an accessible way. And the next couple of years are really, you know, there's um, a, a, a lot of, of original work that, that grew out of um, the availability of certain particular documents and also the mindset among the new gen- a new generation of historians that um, the inner life and the complex, tortured inner life even of a of a of a powerful man is an important text and deserves consideration. Um, and this is a very different idea than than what had reigned in the in the forties and fifties, um, which which set the tone for uh, for decades afterwards. I mean, the I, I go into this in great detail for anyone who's curious in the afterward to my book, um, because I have the same question that you have. How, how could this? Po- how could there possibly be anything new to say, or new to do on, on this man? And and it turned out to be a very unusual uh, combination of circumstances that 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 led me to the to the belief that there was that there was an important story to, to be told, although in a sense. It's important not because it's new, but because it's so old. It, this is something that that all of Lincoln's friends and colleagues identified as a crucial aspect of his character, if not the the crucial aspect to his character that he that he was a melancholy fellow. And a lot of the project of my book is to go back to those original records and original accounts and reconstruct the story. Well, let's, let's take a look at that story. You, you mentioned Herndon's. Informants, which is, uh, as you said, William Herndon was, of course, Lincoln's law partner who, after Lincoln's death, went around collecting these oral histories of people who had known Lincoln and meant to use it as, as a source of his own biography, but uh, which he did, but that was not quite as successful as he'd hoped. And then, as you just pointed out, the, the original records, uh, Herndon's own records, which were not easily accessible, they were on microfilm in the Library of Congress, uh, were finally published by by Wilson and Davis in, in a marvelous, uh, very accessible and per- beautifully annotated format, so that we can all read them now. Well, that gives us some raw material of, of what the young Lincoln was thinking about. Um, and, and you say his contemporaries, Lincoln's contemporaries, from from that source and from others, all agree he was was melancholy. Uh, what what does that mean? Melancholy is not a word we use much anymore. What did they mean by that? They meant primarily that he was, uh, by temperament, um, habitually prone to gloom, dissatisfaction, um, self-criticism, um, kind of uh, um, you know, uh, you know, cloudy uh, approach to to his environment day to day. Melancholy at that time also. Um, encompassed an understanding of being prone and vulnerable to the disease of melancholia um, or hypochondriasis, which is the word that Lincoln used in his, in his letter in early 1841. Um, there was there were there were these two elements that were understood to be connected, though quite distinct. One is this is a, is a matter of temperament, what it's like day to day, and the other is a matter of, of uh, Disease, and a lot of people mis- misunderstand and think that I am diagnosing Lincoln, um, that I am I'm putting a medical label on his person, and that's 
absolutely not the case. I, I, there are moments in his story where a medical perspective um, is relevant, and, and, and most dramatically, these are his two breakdowns um, at age 26 and 32. Um, you, you could look at those and say they fit with what we now call major depression, and, and that's somewhat helpful because there's a lot of great research on major depression, and, and you can look at Lincoln with that in mind and learn some things about, about, about him. Um, but his story is much bigger than, than, than a diagnosis, and, and that, that's the real project to, 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 to go from your question and say, well, wh- what did this mean? They, they say that he was melancholy. They, they also use the phrase mental depression. Lincoln, as I said, uses a, the word hypochondriasm, a reference to hypochondriasis. The, the, so the project, a lot of the project of the book is to, is to reconstruct this world um, and Lincoln's place in it and, and to take him all the way through his story. Um, it changes. There's, there's, there's growth and conflict and... And, and movement, and the Lincoln of, you know, his mid twenties and early thirties, is, while, um, of course, the same man in the same body with the same spirit, has grown and changed enormously by the time, uh, you know, he's a, a major uh, uh, anti-slavery leader and and uh, and president. Um, and I think there's a lot a lot of the lessons for us in, in contemporary life have to do with. Setting aside this this very um, static notion of, of suffering and actually seeing it in motion over the course of a whole life. Well, let's go, let's go back to Lincoln's early life. Then you mentioned the two uh, breakdowns that he suffered. That, these are well attested in in uh, uh, in, in the evidence, uh, not just from Herndon but from many other contemporaries. The first breakdown in the summer of 1835. Does depend largely on the recollections in Herndon's material. There just, are, just give there us a quick background. What what happened uh, sure. uh, in 1835? The, and for those who you know who are who are accustomed to the the controversy, I want to make clear that that what I, the, the the essence of the breakdown itself is attested to very widely and without much controversy. That in the summer of 1835, after um, a summer of of, of great sickness in the small uh, village called New Salem that Lincoln had, had lived in for four years. Um, in August, after the death of a young woman named Ann Rutledge, Lincoln totally lost his composure. He, he stopped working for a time. He wandered alone in, in, in the woods with his gun, according to one memory. According to several memories, he, he was so... Um, he was judged to be so much at risk of suicide, and he was speaking so often of suicide that his friends and neighbors actually locked him up and kept him under watch to make sure that he didn't hurt himself. And this went on for some weeks, and he gradually grew calmer but remained um, quite melancholy for months. That's, that's, a, that's a quote from uh, an older woman in, in the village who helped care for him. Um, that that everything I've just said is uh, is without controversy. Now the controversy controversy comes in um, when we when we when we ask what what his relationship was with Ann Rutledge, and there's a whole 
a mess of arguments and counterarguments and myths and, and counter myths about that relationship. But my proposal is that we need not settle it. We can we can we can keep that as a question um, and still look at the facts on the ground about the breakdown. And I, I think that's an absolutely brilliant observation. That really struck me in your book that people have argued the Anne Rutledge question back and forth, did Lincoln love Anne or not? Uh, and yet nobody disputes that Lincoln did suffer a breakdown after her death. The argument has been, did that, was Anne the cause of it or not? And, and your point, I take it, is don't worry about that. What caused it? Let's look at the fact. Here's a young man who suffered uh, the symptoms of what we recognize today as, as major depression. And what does that tell us about Lincoln? What can we learn going forward from that? that that's absolutely the case. And in fact, if you go back to the original records, you'll see that the questions about his relationship to this young woman, Ann Rutledge, emerge in precisely that order that 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 that, that people were saying, "Well, look, he totally lo- here's a here's a young man who we've known to be a winsome and charming and powerful. We'd not known him to be depressed. This took us totally by shock. It happened after this young woman's death." Gosh, I wonder what it was like. I wonder what was going on between them. And some people said he must have been engaged to her because why else would you have such a collapse? And other people said, well, that couldn't have been the case because she was engaged to another man. And but almost everyone who talked about that talked about it, uh, very, making it very clear that they didn't know that they were that they were that they were um, guessing and that they felt moved to, to guess and imagine because of the breakdown. Um, and I, I'm glad to remain agnostic on, on the question of whether Lincoln merely knew this young woman, whether he was attached to her as a friend, whether he loved her, whether we, we simply don't know. And, and barring any, any new evidence, um, we, we never will know. But it's, it's the, the contours of the, of, the, of the breakdown are extremely clear. Even though, again, there, there, there are all kinds of questions that we'd like to see answered. I mean, this is the approach I take all the way through the book, that, that you know, the reliable data forms a kind of frame, and we have to interpret based, based on that reliable data, um, and that sometimes there's an advantage in not knowing the, the details. Um, I mean, it's certainly consistent with, with real life. I mean... Um, many suicides, many uh, depressions that, that people recover from, there's a mystery at the core of it, you know, what set it off. Um, and as Lincoln himself later observed, you know, it doesn't have to be um, some fantastic uh, misfortune that, that the kinds of things that, ordin- that people ordinarily get through all the time can be totally disabling if you have a predisposition, if you have what Lincoln referred to um, as a nervous temperament or a nervous debility. Um, so it may have just been the, the rain that followed Anne's death as much as Anne's death. It, could, it absolutely could have been the rain more than anything. The weather was extremely uh, weird, and you know from that part of the country that it's that bad weather, while unpleasant everywhere, there's something especially gloomy to bad 
weather in that in that part of the country. In, in the Midwest, it does stay gray for a long time. We're going to take a short break, Josh, for a few minutes sure. and, and come right back. Uh, we've talked about Lincoln's first well-known breakdown. I want to talk about the second one and then, then move forward from there. But we're going to take a short interruption here on Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> 